This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to episode 243 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films to high-end TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. And I'm delighted to tell you that on this week's episode, we have... Some of the team behind Chevalier. This is a brand new feature film from Searchlight Pictures and Element Pictures, directed by Stephen Williams, who is our first guest on today's bumper edition. Um, Chevalier is the story, it's a true story of composer Joseph Bologna, uh, who was a Chevalier de Saint Georges, basically was the illegitimate son of an African slave and a French plantation owner who rises to heights in French society as a composer before an ill-fated love affair. The film stars Alec Newman, uh, Henry Lloyd Hughes, Cyan Clifford of um, the Serial Killer's Guide to Life fame, Minnie Driver, Samara Weaving, Lucy Boynton and Kelvin Harrison Jr. The latter two are also on this week's podcast. Yeah, that's right. Lucy Boynton and Kelvin Harrison Jr. Lucy has starred in Bohemian Rhapsody and Murder on the Orient Express. And Kelvin Harrison Jr. has starred in Elvis and The Trial of the Chicago 7, making his second appearance on the podcast after he came on to talk about Serrano. But first of all, we have director Stephen Williams. He's directed many, many episodes of TV, including Lost he did 26 episodes. He was also the co-executive producer. He also directed Undercovers, The Transporter, Intelligence, Matador, Agent Carter, The Americans, The Returned, Hand of God, The Walking Dead, How to Get Away with Murder, Bloodline, Ray Donovan, Westworld and Watchmen, which he was also executive producer on. Uh, his last feature film that he directed was Shadow Zone. My teacher ate my homework in 1997, which we talk about on the podcast. But he is back, making another feature film since then with Chevalier. What do myself and fellow host Dom Lemoire talk about on this week's podcast with Stephen? We talk about why you need to tailor the text as a director when you're not the screenwriter. Why you're only as good as your collaborators. How to be subtly manipulative and why Stephen used screen grabs to inspire his crew. He also talks why he directed TV and how he met J.J. Abrams, why you should hold out to make the film you want to make rather than taking work as a director for hire, and he gives you some amazing advice. 
And that's coming up for you on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. So I am doing a workshop for actors um, working with directors. If you happen to be up in Lincolnshire, if you happen to be in the Grimsby area, the Lincolnshire area, I'm up there on Saturday the 24th of June... Uh, doing this workshop for Lee Waddingham's Brilliant Acting Links. Um, So if you're around, do come along. Link to that is in the show notes. Don't let a door close on you this week. Um, Basically, a rejection happened to me, and it got me down. I wallowed uh, for maybe an hour, and then I got over it. And I thought, I'm not going to let that stop me. I've had so many of those, so many of those, but this one just hurt, just niggled at me and just got me. But I thought, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm going to kick the door down and you should do the same. I don't mean literally, um, like James Cameron style, like how he did when he was pitching Terminator. Look it up, it's pretty amazing. Um, (laughs) I mean, for you, don't let anyone stop you doing what you need to do. And if that means going out of your way to make something happen and kick that door down, literally or metaphorically, then do it. Do it. It's your life. Only you can make things happen. Believe in yourself and get it done. So that's what I mean when I say don't let a door close on you. Next week on the podcast, we have another Stephen. That's right, we have Transformers Rise of the Beasts director Stephen Capel Jr. And also two more actors. We have In the Heights and Hamilton actor Anthony Ramos and Judas and the Black Messiah actress Dominique Fishback talking about their experience making Transformers. That's for you next week. So let's get to it. First up, Stephen Williams, a fantastic director of Chevalier. And then after uh, we've chatted to Stephen, we'll be chatting with the actors, the lead actors of Chevalier, Lucy Boynton and Calvin Harrison Jr. Sit back, relax. Enjoy. Stephen, so nice to meet you. How are you doing? Good, man. Thank you so much for uh, for jumping on this Zoom. Appreciate it. Of course. Of course we would. We're excited to chat to you. Very yeah. excited. Very excited indeed. We chatted earlier to Kelvin and to Lucy as well, uh, your stars oh, amazing. of Excellent. the show. And that was in person. It was so nice, obviously, to chat oh, to Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's- you are the... the- the phantom zoomer yeah we love. <laughs> yes i'm jealous though i wish i were there yes i mean the pandemic really kind of has spoiled us in this weird kind of way you know you mm. used to actually like have to get dressed and shave and you know <laughs> jump in a car certainly in la you know yeah. and mm. uh, and now it's kind of like yeah just a, a few clicks on the keyboard and um there you are yeah and we're away yeah and we're away uh, well done by the way look chevalier yeah. look really stunning piece of filmmaking and especially the the topic of what it is as well it's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. That's no so cool. problem. Yeah, talk to us about how it came to you, how it came about, and uh, yeah, the, the process behind making Chevalier. So our film Chevalier is about a formerly little-known, highly accomplished classical musical composer and conductor and, and you know, champion fencer and equestrian and, you know, general man about town and friend of Marie Antoinette's in, you know, the pre, pre-revolutionary France. Yes. And very little has actually been written about uh, about this person, Joseph Bologna, the, the title person um, in our film, Chevalier. 
Uh, there is a book called uh, The Sword and the Bow, but our movie was really trying not to be so much a kind of cradle-to-grave biopic as it was a kind of, you know, we, we picked a section of uh, Joseph's life because it was so rich. You could literally make like, you know, six mm. movies about this guy um, and not exhaust, you know, his biography. And so we chose to just kind of focus on a small but transformative and pivotal period in, in his life. And I knew nothing about him. Weirdly, I, I knew absolutely nothing about uh, Joseph Bologna at all until, you know, one fateful morning, I was kind of going through my, my emails and lo and behold, in my inbox was, uh, a copy of the script that had been sent to me by Searchlight Pictures. And I started reading and was immediately like captivated and hooked. And mm. that, you know, sent me off on a, on a really long journey of, uh, educating myself about, about this person and the time period in which he lived. Mm. Mm. So, so once you've received, once you've received the script, how do you kind of look at it and think, okay, well, what, what do I want to keep that's in there? What do I want to change after you sort of do your own research? And then you've also got your own sort of directorial ideas and, and spins. Like how, how close to that, that script did the, the sort of the final movie end up being? And what, what was it that you maybe thought, okay, this is amazing, but I'd like to sort of imprint this or focus a bit more on this section or this character? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Certainly for me, but I think it's probably true for, you know, most directors who aren't also writers uh, of their material. Uh, you know, at some point, you have to kind of find a way to tailor the, the text in such a way as to allow you to visualize it in the way that you want to visualize the film. So one of the first things that occurred to me was I wanted to kind of develop a visual vocabulary and grammar that would immerse the viewer in the immediacy of the life journey of the titular character, Joseph Chevalier, Joseph Bologna. Mm. And so that meant for me that he had to be in every single scene. So the mm. first kind of imposition that I made, if you will, on the text was that um, there could be no scene that Joseph was not in. And for the most part, uh, I was able to, you know, adhere to that. And then you know, I just wanted to find a way to kind of yoke the viewer to the subjective journey of this character. And that meant for me a lot of long takes, uh, because I felt that there was something, uh, just something more immersive about, you know, a kind of, you know, kind of quasi Birdman approach to, to, uh, to visualizing this film. Uh, I wanted it to not feel like a typical kind of period piece that you see, like, you know, masterpiece theater. You, you, you're looking through a kind of time portal at some kind of distance removed from the events and the characters that are happening in the film or unfolding in the, during the course of the movie. I wanted there to be a sense of immediacy and urgency. I wanted the viewer to feel as if they were there in that time. And you absolutely have as well. It does feel that way. You feel like you're diving into this wonderful world and i really love the status and characters that that came across as well and that that was magical at times and that was done with camera work as to who was status who was in control who was strong who wasn't at times and it was really beautiful to watch do you go into your work i mean on this film with jess hall as well your cinematographer but do you go into depth with that from the very beginning do you start thinking about how you'd shoot it even when you get in that script in the first place, do things pop in your mind and go, oh, that would be nice? 
Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, that's, you know, look, it 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 needs to be said. It's been said before, but it needs to be reiterated that uh no director authors a piece by him or herself. You are only as good as the collaborators that you are fortunate or blessed mm-hmm. enough to surround yourself with. And I I have to tell you this movie uh only kind of coalesced and came together once you know, we got the band together. Yes. And, uh, you know, Jess Hall uh, is just an amazing DP. Karen Murphy, who has done movies like, you know, A Star is Born and Queen and Slim and, uh, you know, a ton of work with Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olivier, our, you know, costume designer, all of us were working together as a unit and we're trying to find a way to visually reinforce all of the kind of emotional and narrative beats of the story. And that those discussions were intense, intimate and began literally from the minute we all became familiar with the script. And so, yeah, you're totally right. There are images that um, start to anchor your uh, plan of attack or your approach uh as soon as you know you as soon as you start flipping through the script even on the first read and um and so those conversations were in depth and detail really really detailed and our camera operator by the way a guy called jeff healy he's mm. just an amazing amazing amazingly intuitive artist with with the camera and um uh, you know, it was just a, a wonderful, unique experience. We all kind of were different um, instruments in the orchestration of this piece about oh. this incredible musician. <laughs> like what you did there. Yes, I did that deliberately. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. It's a bit it. cringy, but I no, couldn't but, resist. But, I, but actually, actually, sort of, you know, leading on to that, like the, the camera is so fluid. Um, and it, it does, you know, it almost sort of just guides you like a, you know, a very seamless piece of music through, you know, the music and the and the, the visuals are both so smooth um, that it, it really does sort of flow you through with the, you know, the the, the pace of the film and the the drama and and also the era and the sort of the lavishness. Um, I sort of mentioned that word again, but it, you know, the sets are, are absolutely uh, in, incredible. Did you? Um, in terms of like working with your production designer, how did that collaboration sort of sort of work to create such a stunning sort of backdrop to it all? Yeah, you know, I mean, so the trick for me that the most kind of, I think, challenging piece tonally, right, and visually was, how do you make it feel like, you know, it's worth reminding ourselves that we're, we're telling a story about the trajectory of this musical revolutionary, right? In, mm. And him coming into a greater sense of self-awareness and uh you know it was about how do you balance the kind of very kind of contemporary tonality of the piece i.e wanting the viewer to feel as if they were immersed in the events at the time uh while maintaining some kind of uh honor and uh respect for the time period in which the piece took place so that was like the, the the kind of overarching mandate for us, how to be subtly contemporary. And Karen Murphy, our production designer, I mean, I literally can't say enough about her. She's just brilliant. And she embraced working in the way in which I wanted to work, which was as production designer, she is the umbrella over all the visual kind of elements that appear that are going to be photographed so she worked completely 
in tandem with Jess, our DP, mm. but also with Olivier, our costume designer, and all the, the the set decorators. And nothing kind of made its way onto set and to my eyes until it had been filtered through Karen's vision, which allowed for the piece to have a certain kind of coherence, which which I was you know desperate to try to achieve. And so. Um, she was just a pivotal, pivotal uh, ally and collaborator. Yeah, well, she's obviously with Elvis as well. That it felt. Yeah, Elvis. I forgot. Know, that, but yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of her visualization of stuff, A Star Is Born, Elvis, and then Chevalier, you, you, you can totally see how that would make sense and how it would work. But you, were you showing them storyboards? Were you showing them these images that popped up in your mind? How do you grab those? And what is it that you actually do present? Yeah, that's a great question. I am a, a, a voracious consumer of movies. I've been a movie addict since I, as far back as I can remember. Um, again, not an original utterance from a director, but uh, nonetheless, uh, true. And uh, <laughs> So I literally would do screen grabs of like every movie that I felt spoke to what we were trying to achieve, even if on the surface of things, it didn't necessarily appear to be, uh, you know, related to what we were, what we were after. There are sequences from, for example, The Graduate. Mm -hmm. I will, Hmm. I will, in the context of this podcast, like completely fess up to, there's a montage that happens kind of midway through the movie as Joseph Bologna, our hero, is uh, setting about composing and rehearsing and putting together an opera, Ernestine, that was, curiously enough, written, by the way, by uh, Monsieur Laclos, who wrote Dangerous Liaison, like the mm. original mm. Stephen Freer's movie, but mm. like mm. The, but the, original. The, the book of letters on which that movie was based. Yes. He wrote the libretto to Joseph Bologna's Ernestine. Um, in any event, that there's a montage that Mike Nichols just so brilliantly kind of constructed in The Graduate that I used as inspiration for our montage, our Ernestine montage. So I would show that to our camera operator, to Jess, to Karen, and we then literally shot that montage to the bar. So there's no extraneous footage that doesn't exist. Like it was literally like editorially speaking, it was cut the head and tails off those takes, put them together, and that's the montage. So we just had I just had a storehouse of references, visual references, and I would literally be able to go, this scene wants to feel like this mm-hmm. still still grab, you know, that this still frame um from X, Y, or Z movie. And uh and we would, you know, that then that would become alchemically transformed by all the, the the brilliance of of the collaborators and um and evolve and and change and become suited to our purposes. So you you mentioned that you've you shot that sequence almost entirely as it was sort of planned. Can you talk about anything that maybe you had planned in the script that you didn't end up shooting in the end, or or something that you shot which didn't make it into the final edit? Like what sort of made made it through and didn't make it through in, in terms of the the sort of the final version? Um, maybe sort of some of the the studio input if that had any um, impact on that as well. Yeah. I mean, look, this is going to be super boring to say, but again, it 
it suffers from the virtue of being truthful. So I, I have to share <laughs> have it. To honor it. The studio <laughs> searchlight, searchlight so, pictures. They were as like honorable as a Renaissance gentleman you are. <laughs> um, I the studio did not interfere at all. But I will say they did have, strangely enough, this is going to sound even weirder, a couple of really useful and helpful notes. So uh, the fencing sequence, right, mm, that's early that's in the movie, when the, the, the sequence that leads to Joseph being uh, appointed a chevalier by Marie Antoinette, that sequence played out script-wise and in the first editorial passes um, in a very linear way. Right. It was speech by Ponce and then a speech by um, uh, Joseph's best friend and and then the fencing duel. And, you know, at some point, uh, someone at the studio was like, you know, I wonder if there's a way to kind of approach this in a slightly more compressed and nonlinear way. And that light bulb went off when uh, when they they offered that up. And it was in keeping with the kind of um, musical tonality that we wanted to achieve. And it was a, in continue, it, in, it, it continued the kind of uh, race through Jer Joseph's early, early time in France that we, we wanted to try to achieve so as to avoid being a kind of traditional biopic, if you will, you know? Um, and so the non-linearity of that sequence was something that was offered up by the studio and was not in our original design. Um, uh, there are lots of, you know, having said that, it's a very modest film in terms of budget and scope. It's, you know, Searchlight Pictures and Independent is a, you know, part of a studio, but it's a, an arm, a, a kind of indie arm, if you will, or indie vibe arm of, of, a, of a larger studio. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we didn't have tons of time to shoot. We didn't have tons of money. And so there's very little, at some point they came to me and was like, what scenes do you want to, what deleted scenes do you want to include in the DVD extras? And there weren't, <laughs> you got, got a lot to choose from. All of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I'll do a commentary. Uh, new, new movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's actually, it's very refreshing to, to hear like how supportive the, the studio is. Um, and that, that's really nice actually as, as filmmakers, like really positive, helpful notes, like working towards the same goal. Really, yes. really yeah, they yeah. really were. I mean, I, I wish I had horror stories to share in, in many ways. It'd be a lot more. <laughs> they probably don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but there was actually there was this one time. No. <laughs> oh, it's interesting because like your last film, your last movie, right, uh, was Shadow yeah. Zone. My teacher ate my homework uh, in 1997. Yeah right so but there's a catchy title yeah isn't it right <laughs> that might not have been we what it's originally <laughs> called <laughs> just throwing that out there but how interesting look you've had a huge tv career you know massive right. you know from lost all the way through to to the latest watchman westworld you know the, the list goes yeah. on ray donovan uh, had to get mm, away right. with murder which i loved i loved your episodes on that <laughs> big shout out on westworld as well absolutely yeah. look th this list is incredible uh agent carter as well which was uh, a very underrated i feel tv series but yeah Haley atwell Haley atwell Brit. indeed so many brits yeah. were in that my friend richard <laughs> yeah. short was in that so many cool people were in that that show um but then to go back to film it's that one of those things isn't it you you're on that trajectory of making tv what 
and people often go from film to TV these days. For you, it's the other yeah. way around. So it'd be interesting to talk about that. And obviously when this came to you from Searchlight, were you already looking for a film to do or was this actually? Because, I mean, like you say, this could be a TV series. You could have really gone into his life and kept for going. Sure. Still be. For sure. Could still be. It could still be, Stephen. <laughs> Take this Hello, from us. That's- this is just 10 percent. that's all we ask for is that all and the directing credit for bargains <laughs> so yeah well talk us through that that process of like you say it came to you yeah, yeah and this this yeah script. i mean mm. look here's the thing here's the real truth i mean there's you you guys are very good at your jobs you have a way of facilitating oh, thank a, you candor <laughs> that i i don't know that, how. I, that, that i probably will in hindsight regret mm-hmm. but um uh, you know, as I said, I started like I fell in love with movies, right? It never yeah. occurred to me to actually I never thought about TV directors or, or directing as it related to TV. Yes. And so what happened was I made my first film in Canada in earlier than my teacher ate my homework. In 1995, I made my first film, which is called Soul Survivor, and it opened Critics Week at Cannes and mm-hmm. did a whole bunch of festivals and, and um and I got uh, representation as a result of that. And I was about to do my second film at New Line when I got, I will try to, for the purposes of this podcast, be super brief, uh, but I got kind of uh, recruited, if you will, by A, Damon Lindelof, who wow. ended up, you know, who wrote and created Lost and, mm. uh, and Watchmen and... Uh, he and I had worked together um, and became friendly. And so when he did Lost, he called me right as I was in early prep on this movie. And then he introduced me to J.J. Abrams. And J.J. Kind not of, a bad intro. <laughs> no, not a bad intro. And J.J. can be very, very... Not the most horrible one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so what happened was I was trying to cast this movie and I was having difficulty casting. I couldn't find the right person. And in that haze of confusion jj kind of said look i'm doing this show in hawaii and you know you should come and work on the show with us and i was like yeah but i'm doing this movie and he goes really how's it going and i'm like well i'm kind of struggling a bit with casting and he was like yeah i've been there tell you what why don't you just come to hawaii do one episode it'll clear your head you'll go back you'll hit the movie fresh and i was like oh that sounds like a good idea I go to Hawaii, I do an episode, show is not even started to air, it's first season, and uh, and I love Hawaii, and I love the material, and I love the cast, and it's just a good vibe, and I go back to LA, and my agents are like, you know, you really should kind of, you know, stick with this JJ dude, and, you know, the movie, we're not feeling good about the movie, and uh, I consulted with my wife and my family is my the most important thing to me. And so uh, almost every decision I've ever made or in terms of the trajectory of my career has been predicated on how it works for my family. Mm. And we thought, my wife and I thought we had two young kids and we thought, oh yeah, Hawaii is a great place to kind of, you know, hang mm. out for a bit. And, uh, and Hawaii not. <laughs> why not and so we moved there and six years of my life elapsed in the twinkling of an eye and our kids were there and our one of our 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 third child our daughter was born there and uh and then once i was on that kind of in that trajectory you know as soon as lost was over jj had another show he wanted me to produce and direct and and in, in la so we moved to la and 
you know, I was looking for movies the whole time, but I pretty picky and mm -hmm. uh, didn't really find anything that spoke to me. And in the meantime, other offers were coming in for TV that was really kind of fascinating. Like you, you mentioned how to get away with murder. I'm mm -hmm. like, I have an opportunity to work with Viola Davis. Of course, I'm going to say yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so on and so on. And it was, wasn't until Chevalier came through the, you know, the digital space that I was like, wow, you know, I haven't mentioned this, but like, so apart from all the macro elements of the Chevalier story that are intrinsically fascinating, like, you know, Joseph Bologna came from a Caribbean island, you know, Guadeloupe, and then went to Paris when he was about 10. I was born in Jamaica, I'm not wearing this cap, just, you know, at <laughs> random. Mm -hmm. I was born in Jamaica. <laughs> Wait, 23 went... minutes into the interview for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, get, I served it up. You guys didn't pick up on it. Well, we would have. I registered it. I registered it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then I left Jamaica when I was 12 and went to high school and university in England. And so there were many kind of aspects about that outsider kind of, uh, trajectory that on a personal level spoke to me and that I felt I understood and could bring something specific to because I had in a way lived it. I had emerged far less accomplished from my experience than Joseph Bologna, but nonetheless um, <laughs> understood that that path on in, in some way. And so for all those reasons, Chevalier felt like the, the right one to do. So, so talking about the cast, Kelvin and Lucy, yeah. such an incredible pair in in this movie, and um, yeah. and I sort of already mentioned on on the show earlier, like he's an incredible lead. She does something to Marie Antoinette we haven't seen before, which is to miraculously make her likable despite being an yeah. incredibly like <laughs> un unlikable sort of persona. How did you? Uh, in, first of all, it's kind of a two part question. Like, how did the casting of those two sort of come about, and also how did you? create such a human relationship between the two of them in terms of working with them in maybe prep, rehearsal, script discussions and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, look, again, directors take far too much credit. So uh, mm -hmm. the truth is, uh, Kelvin was a no brainer based on a his prior body of work, b his intuitive understanding of the interior landscape of this character. I'm sure he shared with you that he comes from a family of jazz musicians, very mm -hmm. prominent in New Orleans. So he grew up suffused in the world of music and understood the psyche of a, uh, of a musician. But beyond that, and he probably mentioned this to you too, the very first meeting I ever had with him, uh, I was like, so here's the thing, man, you're going to have to learn how to play the violin because I don't want to shoot with a lot of cuts. There's not going to be a stunt double. And I personally think that audiences today are too sophisticated. The minute I cut to a close up of hands or mm -hmm. I'm on somebody's back, they're going to know it's not you and it's going to take them out of the movie and it's going to be completely antithetical to this whole immersion philosophy that I previously articulated. And so you're going to have to learn how to play the violin because I'm going to shoot long, unbroken takes as a way of A, immersing the audience and B, telling the audience subtextually that this is all you and that they should connect to and with you. This is not a stunt double. And he was like, well, that's a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And while yeah. we're on that topic, the same is true of the fencing. There's not going to be a stunt double either. You got to learn how to fence. fence. Yes. So he 
dedicate himself, man. He did six hours a day, six months before we started shooting, getting himself ready with violin coaches so that I could shoot the movie the way I wanted to shoot the movie. And so for all of those reasons, he was just like the only person. And I can't imagine anyone else in that role. And he just was uh, incredible. Yes. Mm. And then Lucy just totally kind of got the kind of landscape of an ally and how kind of layered and complex that can be and uh she is just such an amazing talent like lucy was you know the first conversation i had with her about marie antoinette was like look so you're about to do if you choose to come and play with us this is going to be the most thankless kind of invitation you've ever received because marie antoinette is a very well trafficked road and how are you going to find a new iteration for this character. And somehow she understood the mandate of the movie and the mandate of the role in in this particular version of events and found a way to kind of carve out a new niche Mm. uh, and a new kind of version of Marie Antoinette. And I just think she's incredible. And Mm. um, yeah, yeah, so again, but, you know, at a certain point, once you get past the casting of these people and and you create a context or you kind of build a context for them to operate in, the rest is all them, their talent and their focus and their dedication and their hard work. And you just, you know, hope that you don't mess up your half of it, which is to, you know, capture it mm. visually. Yeah. with the tools yes you know and you throw in samara and marton in there as well and you've got this incredible cast we haven't even mentioned some of the others as well and ronke by the way yes. Ronke, yes. Nanon, she's you know obviously not in the movie a lot but boy she um yeah i, I don't know she really touches me mm. and Sion clifford she was in a movie i produced as well serial oh. killer's guide to life oh really yeah, yeah she's She's super. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, she's really great. She's really great. So talk us through your, like, when you get to set, what do you like to do, you know, if first thing in the morning, will you bring the actors into rehearse? Will you talk through your DP? Talk us through just a little bit about maybe the first hour of when you get to set of what you actually do. Wow. Okay. You want to go granular? Let's all right. do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sun, so, sun grains. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first thing you got to know is, the version of Chevalier's story that we wanted to tell was the story of a musical revolutionary, meaning someone who evolves and grows. He starts wanting to be part of Marie Antoinette's squad and posse, and he emerges leading a thousand-man all-black battalion in the Revolutionary War that ultimately culminates in the beheading of his really good friend, Marie Antoinette. So some something big had to have happened internally in Joseph between between those two poles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So musical revolutionary. I mentioned I came from Jamaica. We have our own musical revolutionary, Bob Marley. And I am yeah. completely, everything I do, discernible or not, is informed by my proximity to that legacy. So every day on the call sheet started with, a Bob Marley quote. Wow. Wow. So the, nice. My process is I show up and my first AD, whom I haven't mentioned, but who is amazing, Richard Fox, mm-hmm. camera operator, uh, DP, and Karen, we all assemble half an hour early every day. 
And the first thing we do is we talk about the Bob quote <laughs> and how it's going to guide us through the day. <laughs> then we talk about the work of the day and how we're going to organize ourselves and approach it and how we're going to start. That's day one. Day two, by day two, we now have dailies from day one and we talk about what worked, what didn't work, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we can improve on. Um, but it's that nucleus of us, that squad, that, you know, mm. football team. Yes. And every day begins that way. And we're all, and no, everyone can say what it, the rule is. Everyone can voice an opinion as long as we relate to and with each other respectfully there are no nothing is people can go hey man that shot you were talking about setting up it's so boring i saw it already <laughs> mm -hmm. it's you're repeating yourself let's do something different and i will <laughs> literally fall on my knees with gratitude and go thank you for saving me for saving me from my baser instincts <laughs> um so the every day just kind of begins with us kind of connecting with each other in that way and we kind of act out the scene well, before the actors get there, we kind of act out our version of the scene. So when the actors show up, I kind of go, hey, I was giving this some thought. It kind of felt like this could be the shape of the scene, but no one has to do anything that I just talked about. If you want to just stand stock still and not move, that's what we'll do. But this was these were this was my first crack at it. How, mm. how do you guys feel? And in a lot of cases, they go, oh, that sounds good, or that works, that feels comfortable. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking. And sometimes, uh, specifically, I'll give you a very specific example. Towards the end of the movie, before Joseph does his final concert, he's sitting alone at the venue in a chair, and Marie Josephine, his lover, uh, shows up, and they have a, a, a scene. At first, because I was so interested in the fluidity of the camera, I was like, so, Kelvin, maybe you're over here, and, you know... Samara, you come in and you do this and you do that. And Kelvin was like, I don't know. I just feel like I'd just be sitting in a chair for this scene. I was like, okay, that's mm -hmm. cool. Actually, never thought about that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, let's do that. That's how you feel comfortable. That's where you feel like you're going to best inhabit this moment and this character and portray mm -hmm. this moment and in, in the way that this character would. Yeah. I, that's why you're the actor. And, actor uh, intuition, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's how we ended up shooting that scene. That's how that scene came to be. So, so, so just, just, to, just to bookend uh, this question, because I'd be interested in the other side of that, is so were there any pickup days that were maybe allowed for in the schedule or not allowed for, but that you thought, okay, you know, all of this is amazing, but there's one or two bits here and there that I feel like we need to either add a moment or maybe we can reshoot this in a different way because of how we've shot the rest of the movie now. Was there any moments like that where you sort of came back to it? Well, if I could reshoot the movie, uh, I would. Um, but no, no not have a really? single in our schedule, not a single day. Uh, during the body of the film, uh, you know, it's COVID times, right? And mm. so that was an additional layer of difficulty. And so the approach of Marie Antoinette to the venue in the final uh act of the movie i shot it once during the body of the production schedule and i didn't have enough background i just didn't have enough mm -hmm. uh people because a bunch of people fell off 
because they tested positive and could not be Damn. in that group. Yeah. And you and can't just I put crew sh- members in, can you? You can't just go, yeah. oh, you guys no. go. But yeah, yeah this is costumes no, exactly. and time and prep. Yeah, Exactly. Totally. And different zones, if mm, you recall, from pandemic yes. language, right? So I tried to shoot it anyway. I tried to be a good soldier and kind of figure out <laughs> tighter angles and different coverage. But I wasn't happy with it. And it was, we're, we're trammeling towards the climax of the movie. We had to get it right. And so we were able to find room within the body of the schedule to go back to that location and, and tackle it a second time. Right. And, uh, that was other than that, that was all that, you know, um, our, our kind of budget and our, our schedule uh, allowed us to do. But, um, you know, as you guys are almost certainly aware, Woody Allen builds into hit the budgets of his movies mm-hmm. a month of shoots for every single movie. And so it makes sense. Um, yeah. 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 I would love to, um, I would have loved to have had that opportunity, but yeah, no. maybe, maybe uh, in the future. Yes. Do you want to ask a last question? John? Yeah, honestly, this is, thank you so much for chatting to us as well. We could talk for so much longer. We know you've yeah. got limited time today. So look, in terms of, that little bit that question that advice for a director coming up now who's trying to get the first film made or get the second film or move into tv what do you think worked for you and maybe what didn't either one of the two just to help our listeners out there life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches but there's only one mccrispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. I think that, uh, first of all, Advice is a fool's game because everybody's journey is individual. Mm-hmm. Having said that, obviously, I'm a voracious consumer of uh, directors and, you know, their interviews and what they've said. And I, I scan them relentlessly for clues about my own path. So uh, having acknowledged both of those things, the the most honest thing I can say is you have to find material that you can connect with. If you can connect with that material in a way that feels personal to you and specific to you, then 
And that can be any in any way, whether it's just visually, technically, or emotionally, or uh, narratively, or any of those, any way in that makes this feel like it, there is a, a connection that you have with that material, you will almost certainly do a better job than if you were just taking a gig for the sake of taking mm. a gig. So I would say, try to try to hold out, try to hold mm. out for the thing that is special to you. And you will for sure do a great job at that. And it will open other doors. And let's say in the sake of, you know, for the sake of uh, complete transparency, let's say it doesn't work out and lead to other things. At least you won't be left with that nagging feeling of my God, not only did it not open other doors, but I sold a portion of I bartered a portion of my internal <laughs> real estate, <laughs> yeah. my soul's real estate yeah. to do this. And now I feel doubly bad about myself. Yeah. So the best insurance about that is like, I did something that I felt was uh, honest and true to me. It didn't hit. Oh, well, uh, yeah. at least I did something that felt yeah. honest and true to me. As long as um, it's your burning passion, for sure. I couldn't, yes. couldn't agree more. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And to, end, to end this on yeah. a Bob Marley quote, uh, yeah. truth is everybody's going to hurt you. You've just got to find the ones worth suffering for. Oh, there nice. we go. Nice. I love it. Perfect for filmmaking, right? Perfect for filmmaking. It. I love it. <laughs> Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, all the success in the world to the movie. It's, uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic piece. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for this interview. And thank you for your kind words. Truly appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Have a great, great right. afternoon. Take care. You as well. You as well. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye now. Well, there you go. That was Stephen Williams. How amazing was he? So much fantastic advice. I really liked how he met JJ Abrams and those on-set moments that he has in the morning. So many things that you can take with you for when you're next on set there. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, right, coming up now is Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Lucy Boynton. Myself and Domino Noir sat down with them and this got videoed so this will be put on youtube um it's rather funny they're in a great mood and we had a real laugh with them um they give some really cool advice for actors on this kelvin harrison jr if you don't know um is the actor from movies like loose uh, monsters and men waves uh, it comes at night elvis where he played bb king the trial of the chicago seven and serrano um, he's just one of those huge upcoming actors. He's going to be on everyone's lips very, very soon. If he isn't already, I imagine he'll be an awards contender coming the awards season. I hope so, anyway. And then Lucy Boynton. She's the star of movies like Sing Street, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and very recently, The Pale Blue Eye, which starred Christian Bale. Um, so this is it. So I won't go on anymore. You can listen to them and you can take what you like from this. Okay, here we go. So nice to see you. Yeah, welcome. Steve. Thank Thanks. you. How are you doing? All right? I'm okay. great. I'm, yeah? I'm great. Thank you. Better now that I get to see you guys again. There we are. There we go. We did it. We did it. Good. And how are you, Lucy? Good, thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My my first question is, 
Uh, I'm going to start with you, Lucy. Mm-hmm. So the the character of Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. is famously disliked in history. Like so many iterations have just been sort of like a very unlikable character. You've brought something very human to it that I found really fascinating, and I think it's the best version of the character I've seen. So what is Thank the you. what is the preparation for you in terms of the the writing, the direction, and how you prep the role? I think. There's something kind of freeing about playing a character that has had so many iterations and is so well-known because you're kind of, you don't, usually when you're playing a real character, there's feels like this responsibility to encapsulate every element of them into this portrayal and you feel like you want to do them justice by showing it all. And with this, I'm very aware that I only have to show one side of her that is really relevant to this story and this film. Um and and as you said, it's like she's been so villainized throughout history. And I and I keep saying it, but I think it's true that I think she's been villainized in a really kind of inaccurate way. And had she been villainized for what she does in this film, it would be completely warranted um, and deserved. But that hasn't been the case. So it was actually really interesting reading as vastly as I could, kind of trying to leave my preconce- preconceived ideas of her at the door, read as vastly as I could, and then, yeah, start to narrow down what was relevant to this portrayal and kind of really, I don't know, strike that kind of, that severity and and why she chooses the decisions that she does but make it kind of the ultimate villain. And what was it that Stephen worked with you as well on to really pull that out? Was there certain things he wanted you to watch, the two of you, but start with you, Lucy, was there certain things that you went, oh, that would work or how about this? It actually, it wasn't so much watching and referencing material, it was just leaning into the, like, the like lack of humanity in a way that it's like she's very pragmatic in how she's serving her own needs and you know behaving based on her own fears so it's very self-serving very self-protective um and so we kept push trying to push it in the direction of like not being apologetic not feeling guilty just really remorseless Mm. and it was so great to work so collaboratively with someone who really holds you accountable to that so keeps pushing you in the direction that you both feel is right but um but yeah it was, i had a great time working with him yeah i can imagine this is so good i'm like honestly i'm like, taking notes <laughs> in my head this is such a well-articulated version of how to do the process <laughs> no for real like this it's is good and, and can, you, can you talk about your process like how did you i mean you're a very compelling lead in this mm. so what what was you know, when you first read the script what was it that sort of grabbed you about the character and what did you think, okay, I can bring my own sort of flavor to this or my own approach? I'm the opposite. I winged it. I was just like, <laughs> no, I Googled this guy. I told him. I was like, all right, just put the wig on me. Let's see what happens. Yeah, just wave my hands around a bit. Really? I was like, all right, I guess I got to. But does that play into the character? Because, I mean, he, he is a sort of a charismatic, spontaneous character. No, I absolutely did not wing it. Oh. <laughs> so much we'll prep went bite. into yeah. this. I can imagine the amount of prep is ridiculous. Yeah. You must have really gone there. Yeah. Did, could you look, did you know how to play the violin before? Well, it was my first Were instrument. Were you a fencer? <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, I did a little bit of both before. Okay. I, I, my first instrument was violin. I played when I was seven. I did it for a couple of years. The program went away. I stopped. Um, fencing I started because of Cyrano. I, yeah. I originally was going to do like this big fencing scene and then <laughs> they saw it. <laughs> I think Pete was a little threatened by how good I was. Yeah, so he it. asked yeah. Joe to cut it. Yeah. That's the story I'm going to go with. Go now. with that narrative. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, just, you know, same thing. It's like you just read a bunch of stuff and listen to a lot of the music actually told me um, the most about Joseph because what I had to remind myself is that I wasn't playing 
an athlete solely. I was playing an artist. And an artist is like, their, I think their work, like even, I don't know if you feel this way, but the movies you choose say a lot about you too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the music you want to write about, how what sounds you're interested in. You know, I did study music. So you're thinking like, oh, are there a lot of augmented chords in here? Are there pentatonic scales in here? Are there, you know, is it, you know, a lot of dominant seven or is it really major or minor, whatever's going on. And you're like, that kind of speaks to your sensibilities. And then you kind of have a musicality in how you want to present this like where where is he is he a more cynic is he more cynical is he more positive you know what is what's his what's his vibe um yeah and then and then when it it comes to set what's your kind of rehearsal processes both of you like working with the director do you like to sort of come in quite fresh to set do you like conversations in advance do you like to sort of play through the scenes like what's that kind of process i love the analysis i Mm -hmm. love the analysis and Mm -hmm. like plotting out and the nitpicking of, like, the intention of the thing. And then – because then if you know if we're all in the same kind of boat, we're all in the same trajectory, then you're free to do your own thing. And then it can be really kind of real and spontaneous That's and stuff. That's I love a good chat. Yeah. Good... It was nice to hang out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And generally, like, directors working with them, obviously you come with your own idea of how you're going to play it. But then sometimes directors might twist that or say, actually, no, I don't see that. How do you deal with like challenges when you've you've come ready with an idea or you think this is how it's going to work and some might just pull the rug? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're wrong. wrong. Right. 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 I really hope you do that. Yeah, do approach, Kelvin. No. Out. Expected star would be brilliant, wouldn't it? And then when you do well, all the glitter comes down. Always. Yeah. That was Brilliant choice. I don't know. You just try it. You just try it. Do you, do you feel like if you over-rehearse things, it, you lose that spontaneity? Or do you like to sort of go into it lots and, and kind of get it out there and, and then sort of be free in the sort of the later takes to try the unusual stuff? I think it depends on the material. And always with the directors, you you go in with a uniform sense of the character and their trajectory. So it's rare that it's a real kind of polar opposite idea on the day. But yeah, I think you just kind of try everything. I don't love over-rehearsing. I, I sometimes do. It. I sometimes do. I like the over-rehearsing simply because it comes to a point where you actually break by the point when you actually over-rehearsed it too much. And then you have to start over again. It's like a reset button. That, oh, Jesus. I know, but I'm crazy. The, what is the yeah, reset, that's what like is the the reset button sound like? Is it? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like perfect. Yeah. It's resetting, guys. Start yeah. rolling. It's going to be such good sound bites for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, is there everything in the sort of the written side of the script? When you, when you get sent a script, is there anything like in this one, for instance, where you think there's something I'd like to tweak or maybe like move or, you know, in terms of like changing dialogue, do you like to do that in advance or is it more just the discussions of the intentions? Respect the writers, man. Mm, especially right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hot topic. No. Yeah, that's, especially when you're working with a writer like no Stephanie Robinson. Like, no, like, no, No, when you're working with someone like Stephanie, it's just like, it's a gift of a script as mm. it is. And also when you're reading it, I mean, you're the one coming into it later, so you're being so informed by the angle of the character that they've chosen, whether that's a fictional character that they have literally summoned from nothing mm. or that they've chosen to adapt, so they're coming in with a very specific um, point of view. 
So, yeah, on something like this, I wouldn't. And also, I could never try to improv. I wouldn't what? improv. Imagine. Leave it to the, to leave it to the I'm doing fencing, that's for sure. Yeah. My favorite, though, is when sometimes they do ask you in the period piece to be like, just, like, riff a little. Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Try doing Shakespeare. Right, right, exactly. Just, just yeah. a little bit. Just a few bits of Shakespeare. Huge yeah. Renaissance words here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just to remind themselves, like, why we need the writers. Yeah. yeah. Here, yeah. actors trying to make it up for a minute, yeah. and then they're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we need the writers. Yeah. yeah. What, what, is it, what is it in scripts that you look for in the first place, anyway? Or was Chevalier, mm. for instance, what jumped out for you? But in general, what do you look for? Mm. What works? Because you must get sent a lot these days. Mm. You both, what made you choose this? You're both well? flying. You're both doing really well. So Thanks. Yeah. It's a pleasure. I mean, it's true. I'm just looking for an arc. Because sometimes yeah. things just, like, I just need, I just need, I need the acts. I need act one, act two, act three, act four. Mm-hmm. And I don't like a third, a weak third act. Because I find that that's what, where it actually, people know how to bring it home mm-hmm. and people know how to start it. Act two is fine because it's usually just, like, we're starting to drive the, the plot Either the plot's weak in the beginning, or for the third act, people just kind of get lost, and so mm-hmm. I'm always just like, "You don't know how to tie it." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah, that's where that's where that's where you expose it. Some people also great, great colloquial dialogue. Mm-hmm. So it's when you're watching something and you you realize you've got completely lost in it because you can totally believe that these people are just like with each living with each other and mm-hmm. like live in that character. And to write that kind of dialogue is such, I think, a specific skill mm-hmm. where you're never actually talking about the thing that is the huge kind of elephant in the room. It's mm-hmm. so well done. It's definitely a balance, isn't it, between feeling extremely authentic to the area mm-hmm. and then being too authentic where you sort of lose the audience. And I think this does a very good job of sort of finding that balance yeah, of, of never feeling unhuman. Yeah, and they feel yes. really real and lived in and like you've – and. I mean, so much thanks to Kelvin, but, like, you really live with this character. You can totally relate to him. So you don't get that distance that you can sometimes feel with period pieces. It's like this feels very relevant and connected, Mm -hmm. I think. What I loved was your sense of power and belonging when you were wearing the wig, when you had the outfits on, Mm -hmm. that you just felt in the zone and you felt proud as the character mm. to be wearing and that came across brilliantly was that something that you'd really thought about about his status in that world because it, it's very unusual for a black man to be in that world and be that powerful and yet there you were so when you're playing that how did that relate to you and what did you bring out especially when you're on set it's just I think it was this this I, this goes back to like that line he says no man can turn down an excellent Frenchman and like when you kind of just internalize that and then you think about what the actual wigs represent too like two different win- <laughs> wigs and there's like the one with two curls and the three one is like you're really like elevated in society and so you know he, I think he was like it's a badge of honor you know and I wanted to wear it. it was just like look at me look at my look at my curls. <laughs> <laughs> Look at three my three curls. curls. Yes. Um, and it, it, it just it gives you a sense of pride and a, a sense of um, understanding of what you've accomplished and then not allowing anyone to, like, take a chip at it. Because mm-hmm. if, if he shows that he has a, a, a chink in his armor, they're going to treat him as such. And he's like, I can't – I don't have the capacity – I don't have the, the luxury of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, what, what, yeah. were, what were the most challenging scenes for you both uh, in terms of the film? Mm. Not enough cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what, eat more cake? Um, was, it, was, it, was it all easy? <laughs> no, it was... I mean, was, I, it, was it hard for you, especially, to switch your character from being, like, very much a friend to... Because, mm. I mean, that was an important flip. The transition scene, mm. I don't think it was hard for her. No. 
but it was pushing it to that place of like, of, of, of really not wanting to let the audience, not inviting any empathy in. Mm. And because when you go to the real extreme, then it is these two people like of equal and opposite of the extent that he is so good and so honorable. She is so vile. And so that actually becomes <laughs> like easier in a way because you know the balance and you can see that really clearly and go all in. But those transition scenes where she still thinks she's not doing anything wrong and it just has to be this way. It's finding the balance of, like, keeping, yeah, the audience on the outside while making, while understanding kind of yeah, her I felt, journey. I, I felt very conflicted about your relationship, actually. I thought it was very uh, mm. very touching, the sort of how it, how it ended up. I thought you were... Like a tragedy in a way. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were both brilliant, yeah. actually. Fantastic in the film. Uh, we just have to wrap up. But final bit of advice for actors, working with directors. Uh, anything on that line that would help to get them the role when they're on set? Just something that will sound like be lovely. Be open to discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Be just be willing to play. That, yeah. That's what it comes down to. Like what I've learned because yeah. I'm I'm actually a control freak, and I really I have authority issues. Um, <laughs> but I find that the the my best work and the the times I have the most fun is when I kind of go. I'm not trying to to. Con- I just I'm just yeah. releasing. I'm I'm, really, I'm trusting this person, mm-hmm. whether I agree with their choices or not. I'm gonna go for the ride, and I think that's the only thing you can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's that kind of collaboration and lack of ego. Yes, that's that's and the big also, one. Yeah, yeah, also because it's not protecting yourself, not feeling like self conscious about mm-hmm. trying things and failing. It's like just go for it. And which I guess is yeah, also down to the the director making you feel like you have the the freedom and the space. And to it's a safe environment. That's true. That's yeah. a big. I mean, that's a note yeah. for all the directors out there. Yeah. yeah. Be, Make sure you create a safe. Got a few listening, yeah. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much <laughs> yeah, for thank your you. time. Really thank enjoyed you. the film. Yeah, thank it's you really so brilliant. Much. You two are fantastic in it. So thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate thanks. it. You can go out there and make your indie film. You can go out there and make your studio film. Studios can get behind you. Know what you're doing. Uh, maybe you should hold out to making the film you want to make. It's totally up to you. Whatever it is, go out there and make it happen for you. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well... It is your duty to send the elevator back down. We will see you next Tuesday, as always, on this podcast, except when it's a Wednesday and I put it out late, which has only happened yeah. once. And, I, and as I say, I'm going to say it every years. time now, it's the one time I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were also in Cannes with me. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. So <laughs> there is that. <laughs> I'm, I'm also responsible, yes, I suppose, in a roundabout way. <laughs> <laughs> so until that lovely time when we see you again or you mm. hear us from us again, uh, take care uh, and really do uh, be inspired to go out there and make you film. Yes. Till then, thank you, Dom. Thank you, John. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>